Well, I'm a late night snacker. Um, in fact, I think some days I get half my calorie intake after 10 o'clock at night, but um, while the rest of you are resting peacefully and not wrestling with that problem. But um, whether you're a late night snacker or just a snacker, you might uh, relate to this sense where you just get this craving. You're like, oh, I know exactly what I want to eat, and I know it's not in the house right now. Whether it's that home-baked cookie, and it's 10 o'clock, and I don't want to bake cookies then necessarily. Plus, it's best if I don't accept that. <laughs> I'd probably burn more calories if I baked them and only ate one instead of what I do instead is like, okay, so we don't have what I want. What can I find that comes close, right? So then we don't have a home-baked cookie, but we might have a bag of Oreos, and I don't even really like Oreos, but 11 o'clock at night, you know, I just want something, right? So uh, I'll try that, and a couple of those, and well, that wasn't quite it. Maybe a Pop-Tart. Well, that wasn't quite it. I'll just eat an apple. I've <laughs> um, and so I have this craving, this thirst or this hunger, and I just keep trying to find a substitute for it. And they all might come close, but they still leave me wanting more. Have you had that feeling, that experience? All right, I'm not alone. Okay. Now that I'm 50, my body doesn't adapt to those habits as well. But uh, so I've got some more to learn in self-discipline. Today... We're going to take a look at Psalm 63. It's this beautiful declaration of how God is what we crave, what we thirst for. He's the one who fulfills us and gives us life. He's exactly what we need. In the title to the psalm, we learn that David wrote this either during or in reflection about a time that he was in the wilderness of Judah. And historically, we mean that, we know that that means he wrote this either during or about a time when he was running for his life to escape his son Absalom. A dry and, I would guess, frightening time, even for the king, to wrestle with this broken relationship in his family, the fact that his son had kind of intentionally, over it looks like years, tried to win over the hearts of the people so that he could usurp his dad's authority and take over the kingdom. And so David is running for his life. And so he writes this beautiful declaration of how God meets all our needs and quenches our thirst at a time when he is thirsty. Now, we know enough of David's life to know that he didn't always live in this beautiful clarity, that sometimes he too maybe had a sense for what he was thirsting after, but tried to substitute it with other things. Whether it was the time that he 
locked his eyes on another man's wife and used his power to invite her into his home and make make her his own. Whether it was the time that he decided he just needed to make sure that he would have a victory, he counted the men to make sure that instead of trusting God, he trusted his people and his might and his own strategy. So there are lots of times in David's life that he, just like us, knew what we were looking for, but tried to substitute with other things. And so as we hear these beautiful words, we are drawn into worship with him, but it's also an invitation for us to wrestle with what are those things that we try to substitute with God and what are they doing to us? So Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. While the mouths of all liars will be silenced. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today, and we thank you for these words that invite us to worship you, to see you for who you are, and to recognize how desperate we are for you, and how fully you meet all our needs. We pray that you would help us hear your voice speak this morning as we reflect on these words, and as we reflect on the substitutes, the counterfeits that we're so easily drawn to. We pray that you would convict us of our short-sightedness. We pray that you would restore us in the wonder of your mercy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we reflect on this Psalm today, I have just two main points and lots of words to go with them. So (laughs) we're not almost done. (laughs) But uh, the first is that life makes us thirsty. In our sinful lives, in this world broken by sin, we exhaust ourselves. Life makes us thirsty. We get worn out. 
emotionally, spiritually, physically, we get thirsty. We experience longing. Life makes us thirsty. David writes, in this dry and parched land where there is no water. Now, as he was writing that, he was going through a desert. Like, it was a literal scene that he was experiencing, but it was also a description of his experience in life. And we go through seasons, and we live in spaces that we know are dry and parched lands where it seems like there's no water. We get thirsty. David's life and kingdom were threatened by his son Absalom's ambitions. And David recognized how desperately and fully he needed and relied on God. As thirsty as he was, as desperate for safety, he recognized that ultimately God was the one he needed, the one he relied on. He didn't just need this problem solved. He needed to be with God. God was his hope and his solution. Life makes us thirsty. We can feel weak and depleted. And God is with us and he is always the one we need. But we don't always recognize it. Sometimes we thirst after other things. Sometimes the things that we need immediately seem more important, more significant, more desperate than the one we need all the time who's always there. What are you thirsty for? What are we thirsty for? There are plenty of specific things that we could use to answer that question. You might be thirsty for a promotion, maybe just for a job. You might be thirsty for a relationship, for a child, for forgiveness, for an apology. We might be first thirsty for any of those things. It's easy for us as human beings to thirst for attention and recognition. You just want to be known Sometimes that gets twisted into we just want to be recognized. These days, many of us are thirsty for influence. We just, we want to make a difference. That's maybe the more noble aspect, and sometimes we just want control. We're tired of the battle, and we just want people to do things our way whether that's right and good and based on biblical principles or it's just easier for us. We can thirst for significance, sometimes control and power. In our culture, we're often thirsty for happiness. If not for ourselves, at least for those we, we care about. We just want to feel good. We want to know that good things are coming. We want to feel satisfied, fulfilled, free. 
Many of those things can be right and good things, but none of them are ultimate things. And when we give ourselves to them, when we pursue those as the things that we need instead of pursuing the God who made us and rescues us, things get twisted. And as good as those things can be, can be on their own, when they become our focus, when they become the thing that we need, the thing we thirst after, the thing we try, it be, they become idols. We can become addicted to them. And the truth is, that as good as any of them might be, they don't have the power to give us life the way the God who made us does. And so when we thirst after him, he renews us and restores us. And he gives us life as we spend time with him. But anything else that we rely on, that we drive ourselves toward, just becomes a tyrant in our lives. It steals the life that we so desperately thirst after. Life makes us thirsty. And as we're reminded in this psalm, only God's love truly satisfies. God himself is the one we need. It's where we were made to live. Our needs and cravings are often real and significant. We can imagine things, certainly. But just like David inspired to write this psalm, he could have written one of those angry, desperate psalms that we have so many of. Lamenting this broken relationship with his son. Expressing his desperation to do his role in that better. To have his son recognize how he's trying and what God is doing in him. He could call out in agony and just say, Lord, I need peace, safety, and security. And we have lots of psalms that give words to that. But in this moment, God broke through all of that and gave David this beautiful clarity that in the midst of all his trial, in the midst of his desperation, in the midst of this dry and parched land where there was no water, he could see the Lord and recognize that with him, David had all he needed. And the same is true for us. Jesus told us in a couple places, told specific people that he was the source of living water. He was ministering and talking with the woman at the well. He said, but if any com anyone comes to me and drinks the water that I have for them, they will never be thirsty again. A little bit later, he explains that as we turn to him and trust in him, that springs of living water will overflow in us and from us, 
as we are in relationship with the God who made us and saves us. He gives life. One of the beautiful, powerful things that, you know, sometimes I, I share that as part of my process, I, I like to diagram the sentences in the passage that I'm studying. It's a little trickier with poetry, but, um, but just to break down the sentences and see the simple subject, the simple verb, the simple predicate, and then all, how all these descriptions and modifiers just kind of help us see the, the truth and the power the skeleton of those basic sentences can be so powerful. And in this psalm, as you look at it, all the things that David is doing, whether he's praising and singing or he's clinging to the Lord, all the things he says he's doing are always in response to what God has already done for him. It's this beautiful picture that not that reminds us not only is it true that God is all that we need and really the one who quenches all our deepest thirsts, but it also reminds us that God isn't waiting for us to figure it out for him to start offering that to us, but he pursues us even when we're clueless. He pursues us even as we pursue idols and addictions. He pursues us when we get distracted. And he never ceases being good, loving, merciful, even as he's always holy, just, and right. So when we turn to the Lord and we open our eyes to see what he has done, we recognize that even while we were spinning our wheels, trying to quench our thirst, he was already meeting our needs. And we, like David, turn to him and praise. Every action David describes is a response to the good, gracious, consistent work of God in his life. And that reminds us of some key things. One, we don't obey God or serve him to win his approval. He already gives his love and mercy to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's already pouring out his love on us. And when we recognize it, we thank him and we worship him. God is good and he pursues us. We also recognize that God gives us what we need, not because, sorry, there's no not. <laughs> God gives us what we need because he loves us. Often before we ask for it or recognize it, he sustains us. His life-giving, sustaining water really, truly never runs out. As we said, our substitute thirsts leave us wanting more and often demanding more of us. But our thirst for God grows and grows, not because we are left thirsty, but because we experience the wonder of what it is to drink from his fountain and to be with him. And we just want more of it because it's what we were made for. 
even as David talks about his desire for justice in these last few verses. He says, those who fight against me will be destroyed, which I'm sure was a painful thing to say about his son. But in verse 11, we get this clarity. This echo of truth that we want to remember, that those who turn to the Lord will glory in him. God will quench our thirst and he will be all that we need and he will continue to sustain us and all that we are will be defined, redefined, renewed in our relationship with the God who saves us. But those who turn, those who lie about who God is and lie about what they need, are distracted, deceived, and reject God's work in their lives. They're led to a painful end. But the key here in this first line of verse 11 is that even more than that truth, even more than the promises of God, David's just spent two verses like singing about how God will protect him and bring a terrible end to his enemies. But David declares, but the king will rejoice in God. It's not even the fulfillment of God's promises to him. It's not even the knowledge of all these things that are true. But what really brings David joy is being with God. Having a relationship with the God of the universe. Life makes us thirsty. We can feel alone. And it wears us out. But we're reminded as we see what God does and how deeply he cares for us in this psalm that we're not alone. That even when it looks like it, when it feels like it, God is there and he's working to provide for us, to care for us, to draw us close to him. His desire is expressed all through scripture is that we would be his people and he would be our God. We would recognize him and be with him. That we would trust him. We can long for significance What could be more significant than the declaration of Psalm 8? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at the stars, the moon, and all all the things that you've put in place in the heavens, who am I that you would be mindful of me? God reminds us all through Scripture that He knows our name, that He made us on purpose. We're significant because He made us and He knows us and He loves us. He's enough for us. Life makes us thirsty, but all those things that we thirst for are just echoes of what God wants us to know 
just opportunities for us to turn and feel uncomfortable so that we can turn and find him and find our home in him. When we quench our thirst with anything but God, we get frustrated. Now the truth is, as human beings, we have this incredible ability to convince ourselves that we really want the fake thing that we've come, become accustomed to. As thirsty as we are, it's a lot easier to get a Coke or a Pepsi than it is to just get water. Well, it's not easier, and it's actually more expensive. But, um, but we feel like it satisfies us more. Because we trained ourselves that we need the sugar and the caffeine as well. But really, what we just need is the pure love of God. And he offers it without fail. Again and again. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Under your protection, I cling to you because your right hand upholds me. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today and we acknowledge that we need you. We don't always like to admit it. We've been trained to think we're supposed to be independent. That you designed us to be dependent on you. You are wonderful and amazing and you are all we need. You are enough for us and you are always here. So we pray that you would call us out, that you would help us recognize your voice as you call us by name. That we would turn to you, that you would open our eyes and that we would see you and believe you and trust you and walk with you. Hold our hand and quench our thirst. In Jesus' name.